This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 show. Oh no, that sounded a little bit like, (laughs) that is not where I was going with that. But anyway, welcome to the 3-0 show, a proud part of the athletic baseball show and also proud today uh, to kick off a new segment uh, at the athletic baseball show where we're going to preview every division, division by division. And um, today we start with the AL West, uh, which makes sense to bring on uh, the illustrious Katie Wu, uh, she's, uh, you know, in the central, but uh, we love your insights across the league. And how is it going for you right now uh, out in uh, Jupiter? Jupiter, indeed. Thanks, you know, it's uh, it was a, cr- a crisp, like 87 degrees today. Uh, I know prior to recording, you heard me express some dismay about the tan lines I've been developing. For those of you who have never experienced a lanyard, tan- a lanyard tan line, Consider yourself blessed. It's a very unbecoming trait. When people see me in public, I think they probably are like Just two oh my little gosh. white lines right around your neck. Yes, <laughs> um, but no. But that's that's kind of how I know baseball is in a true form. So my first spring training covering the Cardinals. That is an actual full normal spring training, which sounds very weird to say, that's considering right. this is my third year on the beat. But things are great. Cardinals games uh, start on Saturday, and before you know it, we'll be back in St. Louis for opening day. So time flies. What's your right? favorite part? I, I actually really enjoy uh, spring training because you can like the types of stories you can do and the types of conversations you can do with players. Uh, you can have weirder conversations, ask weirder questions, and there's a little bit more of a, a relaxed vibe. Uh, have you has that been your experience? Have you uh, enjoyed any sort of stranger conversations or or uh, or are you just sort of getting the lay of the land right now? It's a little bit of both. I think the Cardinals are one of those teams where they come into spring so serious and it's like, do not mess around. This is like, this is prep for the regular season. So we're taking it just as seriously, but there have Mm. been some pretty absurd conversations that either I have mostly I have overheard. And I, at this point though, I've just kind of learned to tune out these conversations because it will send me down a rabbit hole, but it has been fun to just kind of go around and, and see, especially for like the live VP settings, we're allowed to be pretty close. We're allowed to be on the field. So to hear the interactions between those guys as teammates, um, the, ex- the the curse words that may or may not slip out when a pitcher uh, brushes one of his own players back on accident, uh, things like that. It, it reminds me a lot of like the simplicities of baseball. So that's been really fun. Yeah, that was a fun thing. What it is, it was a Miles Michaelis uh, buzz Tyler O'Neill and yep. what do you say at the what do you say afterwards? <laughs> he let out an oh shit. And right, right past Tyler, poor Tyler, three days in a row has had it up and in because he's like the first guy facing these guys. And every single time is like oh, chin music. I think he's going to be tired. But of then it. didn't he say something like, what's up, Canada afterwards? <laughs> I think he did. <laughs> that actually does sound right. <laughs> yeah. So at least a little bit of fun is being had. Uh, the AL West has not uh, been a lot of fun for most of the uh, most of the competitors other than the Astros uh, recently. Uh, but let's start at the top with the Angels. Uh, we're going to go alphabetically. 
um, and uh, the angels. First, in our own DVR's heart, uh, we have to do a little shout out here for Derek Van Riper, our normal host. I'm bumbling along trying to uh, approximate even 50% of what he can do. He is the proud father of a new young baby boy, uh, and they are resting. Well, I wouldn't say resting. There's a lot of a uh, lot of crying and and not much sleeping but that's what they're up to right now and i'm uh shout out to derek and and hope everything's all right over there i'm gonna bring by a little gift uh soon here from the athletic head hq we got a future subscriber onesie um but uh he always you know his whole thing with the angels was he felt like every year he he sort of bought into the hype and 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 you know, he could cross his eyes and, and, and see a future for the Angels. And it's not that hard when you're talking about a team that has two of the top, what, 10 players in the league uh, in Shohei Otani and, and Mike Trout. Uh, but, you know, it's always a question of depth and you know, all those other pieces. Uh, is there is there enough there in your estimation for the Angels or... Uh, what what part of the uh, what what hole will uh, will show up in the in the ship and and, and sink this ship this year? <laughs> I'm glad you know uh, where I'm going with this. You know, I mean, if, if you've listened to the to this podcast every now and then, you'd probably hear me as the local Angels hater. I refuse <laughs> to be excited about them, not because they don't have exciting players, obviously they do, uh, but because it's the same story every single time. So. For me, when I'm looking at the Angels, do I think that they're going to compete for the AL West? I don't. I mean, look at, they have the World Series winning team in their division. They have the Mariners who are up and coming. We'll get to the Rangers. Do I think that they'll be interesting to watch? Of course, with a healthy Otani and a healthy Trout, anything is interesting. But I think when you're looking at the biggest questions of establishing a successful season up to the Angels status, like I think it's pretty fair to say that an, an Angels successful season looks vastly different than a Mariner's successful season. The two biggest questions I have for the Angels is, is Anthony Rendon going to be healthy this year? And I think I shared that question with the overwhelming majority of baseball. And two, how's the rotation? Because you're looking at the heart of the order for the Angels, and we'll run it back, we'll run it down from from the two-hole. We have Trout, Otani, Rendon if he's healthy, Hunter Renfro, and Brandon Drury. That's a pretty respectable middle of the order. But that's only half of the game, obviously. And I think the big concerns for me is, is after Otani on the other side, is that Angels rotation going to be enough to give this heart of the order at least a shot to produce or have their production even matter? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, we've we've shined the spotlight a lot at shortstop uh, in the past, and we've faith casted probably every free agent shortstop onto these Angels uh, so far, and they've decided to kind of go with the flotsam and jetsam approach. I don't know. That's uh, That might be unfair. But, I mean, uh, with all the possible free agents that could have signed in Anaheim, the depth chart now reads Luis Renjifo, Giovanni Urshela, David Fletcher, um, Anthony Velasquez. I, like, I think Velasquez might be the only true shortstop of the four um, and defensively. Uh, offensively, there's things that all of them do sort of well. Um, and, and, you know, Fletcher is an extreme contact guy and um, Urshela is, is okay contact with okay power. And Renjifo has some, some power, but I just don't know that I see them and any of them defensively. And we're going to see a little bit more uh, importance on defense this year. 
uh, with the shifting rules. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. But yes, Rendon is the guy that stretches it from a true... I would say if I was planning for this team, I'd be afraid of Mike Trout. I'd be afraid of Shohei Otani. I'd be afraid of Taylor Ward to some extent. And I'd be afraid Hunter Renfro takes me deep. Um, and then you get the bottom of the lineup where I'm not as afraid. But if Rendon, you stick in there, that that's just it extends the lineup another one. It makes it a little bit harder to pitch to. Um, so I, I think that is an issue. Um, yeah, in this rotation, I see Tyler Anderson as a you know competent uh, pitcher. I think Patrick Sandoval. He, I don't like his fastball. I don't think it's very good, but uh, you know I think he's at least competent. Reed Detmer showed something with a new slider late last year. So you know four deep, you're doing pretty well. Except that Otani means that you like pretty much have to go six uh, in this rotation. Uh, and that's going to put pressure on young guys like Chase Silth. That name just, I don't know what it is about that name. I cannot say it. Chase Silseth. Silseth. That's a tricky one in your defense. It's it's one of the, it's like a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker Davidson who came over, Griffin Canning. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of young guys that are untested. And one of them, no two of them have to pitch. Correct. Like from day one, like it's not even that's the kind of thing when you look at that, the back end of that rotation, it's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, they've got five. And then these are the guys behind the five. Right. <laughs> Except these guys are in the six. And then another thing that pops out at me, too, is when I just look at the fan graphs projections for this team is uh, they've got the worst projected bullpen. It's the worst. Oh, 30 out of 30. Wow. It's 30 out of 30. They they're actually okay with the 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 rotation and, and and say it's sort of an upper half rotation, which if everything goes right, I could see it, I guess. But uh, they do not like that bullpen, and this has not been a team in the past that has done a great job at finding guys um, in the bullpen. You know, there are teams like the Rays that seem to just you know create new ace relievers every year. Uh, this has not been what the Angels have done. Now, on the flip side, like if there is uh, hope, like you, you kind of want like what if someone was if if there was somebody who was going to step forward this year that hadn't really done it before. Is there a younger player on this team or is it just still Rendon or is there is there anybody who catches your eye as being like, man, if this person has a really great year, it could be really big for the for the Angels? You know, I don't necessarily think of Taylor Ward as being a young guy, but mm-hmm. I do think it can be a game changer. I mean, you mentioned how Rendon can lengthen the lineup. I think Taylor Ward can easily do that as well from the leadoff spot. You can pitch around guys if you have two or three big bats in that lineup. Opposing pitchers can pitch around that pretty successfully. But if you have guys like Taylor Ward or or a Brandon Jury, those are those are guys that lengthen that lineup and make that even more difficult. And there's not a lot of holes for them to avoid. So again, I think the the advantage for the Angels, if they're going to be successful relative to their terms, is going to be they're gonna to have to hit their way to it, which is why I think Taylor Ward's performance, especially at the top of the order, setting the table for guys like Trout and Otani, is really imperative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a deep pull here. It's not going to be... Um, I don't think I mean it as in this guy alone will make the difference. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's rep- it's representative of what I think they need, which is uh, they have a guy, Zach Weiss, who came over. And, you know, he's a 30-year-old reliever that was uh, last seen in, uh, in Seattle. Um, you know, he's had some issues with command. Uh, but he has great stuff 
I mean, he he got swinging strikes on uh, almost 17% of the pitches he threw last year. Uh, you know, great strikeout stuff. They need guys like that. I mean, if this is projected to be the worst bullpen in baseball, they need guys like Zach Weiss. They need somebody to be like, who? And that need that person needs to suddenly be one of the top, you know, 15 relievers in the AL, you know? Um, somebody that just steps forward and has a great year. Because Estevez... Jimmy Herjit, you know, Matt Moore, Aaron Loop, they're credible guys. They need someone to step out of nowhere into the limelight and be an amazing reliever. I think that could be uh, really huge for this team. So, you know, if if things go right, I think we know what the story is. It's going to be health. Maybe one of these, you know, like one or two or three starting pit, like pitchers in general just step forward. Uh, but what what you know what it looks like when it goes bad, right? Uh yeah, I think we've we've had about about a decade of that <laughs> yeah. in our pockets lately. <laughs> Just re-rack We're what's happening every time. Uh, maybe they're process. due. I mean, that's a gambler's fallacy, but maybe they're due. You know, like this <laughs> one year they got to have everything go right. Um, so I think uh, the one thing I do like about what they've done is in you know signing guys like Brett Phillips and Brandon Drury and and getting Gio Rochella there. They are a little bit more set up against injury on the hitting side. You know what I mean? I, I feel like if somebody gets hurt for a little bit, you know, they have guys that can step forward, particularly on the infield. They go too deep with credible major leaguers at every position on the infield. Yeah, I would and agree so, with you there. I would agree that they're a more versatile ball club than I was expecting them to be uh, over the winter. I think there is some opportunity for some flexibility and, for a team that does have, I mean, every team has their fair share of injury problems, but we've been talking about Rendon being injured for what, two years, having Mm -hmm. some infield flexibility and some depth there certainly doesn't hurt. I'll give the angels a plus one there. And, you know, look, it's not like they went out there and and didn't have a good off season. They got the upgrades and, and went out and incrementally, incrementally upgraded the team in the best ways they knew possible. It's not going to be enough. And I don't think anyone was really expecting that, but at least there is certain, there are certain areas where, Angels fans can kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, there is some flexibility here. We do have some versatility here. There is some mm-hmm. depth. There is somewhat of a game plan if things start to inevitably go sideways. Yeah. And maybe maybe some young names. Silthus himself actually has a pretty filthest, filthy filthiest. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> filthiest uh, uh, splitter. Oh, man, that's a whole sentence that I'm going to screw up like eight different ways. Um, so, and, and Griffin Canning has a really good breaking ball if he can be healthy. So there are, there are some young arms and those are the guys that'll take him further. Uh, alphabetically, uh, we move on and the next team in the, uh, AL West. Oh, look at this. Our champion Astros. Zero to 100 real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even know kind of, I don't even know how to, how to set this up so much because, uh, they just are seem like such a juggernaut. And every time that we've said, oh, this person is leaving and this person is leaving, I guess I'm going to put it this way. How much is the Justin Verlander departure going to hurt this team? Do you think they have what it takes to overcome that uh, that issue, that letting him go? Is I mean, it is really there's a really good stable of, of pitchers, but do you think that is going to be finally the one way, oh, maybe they really should have kept him? They're the right, yes. The Astros do have a pretty stable core in their starting rotation. Losing Justin Verlander is still losing Justin Verlander. That's not, he's one of those rare types of pitchers where there is just not 
a replacement unless your name is maybe Jacob DeGrom, but that's a, for a different team in the division. Right, yeah. I like the Astros rotation. I like pretty much everything about the Astros, but that's no bold proclamation considering, you know, they just won the World Series. So not exactly a hot take. But what I did notice about the rotation for the Astros, so they had four starters who are pitching in the World Baseball Classic this year. That's Fran mm. Valdez, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, and Jose Urquidy. Those same four guys all reached career highs in innings pitched last year. If you add the regular season and the postseason and the together, postseason. obviously the Astros went very deep into the postseason. So you're counting on these guys to go out there and perform high leverage innings in March. And this is no mark on the World Baseball Classic. I'm a huge proponent of the World Baseball Classic. I know, but it's it's but it's something to keep timing. in mind, right? And the weird timing. I mean, you, these guys are some of these guys are coming to camp throwing 80 percent of what they can throw right now. Exactly. So that is what has me slightly reserved about the rotation is the innings limit. I mean, you're asking these guys to come out here already on short rest after pitching in an international tournament after they just all four of them established career highs last season and innings pitched. Yeah, we just got some bad news that Lance McCullers Jr. had a forearm strain that he's going to have to uh, sit down from and, and, and rehab. Um, and he thinks he might not be there for the beginning of the season. Um, there's some opportunity here. I, you know, Hunter Brown is a, is a really exciting uh, young pitcher. He looks almost uh, identically like Justin Verlander There's and that. and has has uh, built his game on him. However, uh, he's just shorter than than Justin Verlander, and I'm not here uh, to shame anyone for being short, especially someone like Hunter Brown, who's exactly the same height as I am. <laughs> uh, but that does have some meaning that his his ball doesn't, you know, come out at the exact same place as Justin Verlander. He doesn't have the exact same movement as Justin Verlander. But he does have a 91 mile an hour slider. And actually, this best pitch is his power curve. So, you know, there there's a lot to like about Hunter Brown. But it is interesting to bring out this other stuff because, you know, teams use seven starters every year heavily. And they use 10 starters on average throughout the year. So with Lance McCullers down, you're putting Hunter Brown in that rotation. Now you're asking those other four guys to pitch, you know, pretty hardcore early in the se- early in the March for them. What if one of them goes down? Now you're asking maybe Forrest Whitley uh, to step mm-hmm. in, who was a top prospect but has had some really rough command and health in- issues. Right, and, has his own injuries know. history as well. So it's not like he really goes into that rotation if he gets there as a as an arm that they are 100% super confident about. Yeah, and they don't have what they used to have in the past, like guys like Jake Odorizzi or whatever. They don't have like a, a a glue veteran that might be in the bullpen if everyone's healthy or, you know, in the starting rotation when they need them. They don't, they're missing yeah. that. They lack that um, swingman, that six-man yeah. swingman that seemingly almost every, even a, almost every team in contention has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're you're looking at having wanting to find a way to get a six starter on your on your uh on your active roster just so you can uh paper over, you know, just missing a start or you want to push a guy and give him an extra day of rest or whatever it is. They don't have that fungible uh, arm, I don't think. So, a little bit of an issue there. Um they also just happen to have maybe two uh, their their own sort of angels duo of two of the maybe the best 10 15 hitters in baseball in Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Um Kyle Tucker is actually uh, pretty set up to take advantage of a lot of the new rule changes 
He uh, hits a fair amount of balls to the pool side as a lefty um, and uh, is also, you know, fast, but not elite fast. I think he could really benefit from the bigger bases and the throws over. So totally could have a 30-30 season from him. Could have a a 340 homer season from Jordan Alvarez if the knees stay completely healthy. So that's their rock. And then all the guys they produced over the years, Altuve, Bregman, Pena, McCormick, that's their depth. They add Jose Abreu. I mean, offensively, I, I don't know where to poke any holes in this yeah, offense. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I have zero concerns about this Astros lineup. Um, it's very rare that you look at a complete one through nine lineup in, in baseball and think, okay, that is pretty much maximized as best as it could be. But that's how I feel about this Astros lineup. I mean, you hit on everyone. You look at that heart of the order, you're seeing Bregman, Alvarez, I love the addition of Abreu, and Kyle Tucker, like you mentioned, and then Jeremy Pena, superstar of the postseason last year. Yeah. I mean, everywhere you look, that there's there's no really easy guaranteed out one through nine in that lineup. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean Martin Maldonado, maybe. But, like, every uh, team's got... Sorry, I didn't mean to be rude to Martin. I mean, he's a, he's a... You know, in fact, what's important about this is Martin Maldonado, a really good arm, really good game caller. P- uh, pitchers really love throwing to him, really good framer. Uh, so just really someone that uh, does everything but hit. Um, and, uh, and, they're, and they're fine with that. Uh, even where they have some, you know, is, is Chas McCormick really going to repeat? Is he, you know, how good of a center fielder he is? They do have their old Jake Myers, uh, you know, maybe recovering a little bit more from his shoulder injury uh, and coming back. So there, you know, there's something there for them, uh, even in the places where they're in trouble. Uh, Mar- Mauricio Dubon is a, is a great utility guy that's going to help them up the middle. Um, so I think that they have some versatility baked in. In the in the bullpen, uh, you know Presley's knee uh, made him look a little human last year, um, but they are the team like the Rays that just pump out other guys. So even if uh, Presley's knee hurts or his velo goes down, Rafael Montero has been a total revelation for them. Brian Abreu is the closer in waiting. Uh, Hector Neris and Ryan Stanek are these guys that are super wild but have super great stuff. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, they, they go, they go five deep in the bullpen. Um, I think the only, I think the only real, uh, question mark for us on, on this is, is rotation health. I agreed. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to talk about the best teams. It's like, I know. Good. What are we going to say? They're, they're good. They're still good. <laughs> they're they're really good. Okay. They're good. Okay. Yeah. On to the next. <laughs> Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. And uh, next up uh, are the Oakland A's. And where... right back to zero. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Easier to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, let's uh let's uh we're being snarky and we are laughing uh but uh let's let's say something nice about the oakland athletics first you go first <laughs> oh man i feel like you did that on purpose okay. yeah I did. thank you thank you so much look i say this as a bay area native who spent most uh-huh. of her childhood going to coliseum games because it was way cheaper than going to what was then at&t park um what i like about the a's i think tony kemp is a great leader <laughs> yeah, um, he's, a, he's a really nice guy. No, there, there's that. I mean, it's a rough time to be an Oakland A's fan. I get it. Whether you're looking at the roster projection, the starting lineup projection, or the projection of where the team could end up regarding its geographical location, there's just mm. not really a lot to be excited about. Something the A's, I mean, even when you look at their their farm system, it's it's ranked pretty low. Um I don't know. Maybe Ramon Laureano can have a really stellar first half and they trade him for some, them some more prospects. <laughs> oh, you know, look, one of the games that we like to play in spring, the St. Louis Scribes and I, mm. is we look at the Cardinals on the backfields and the various live BPs going on. And we say to ourselves, where would that guy pitch if he was an Oakland A, like what number starter would be as he's no. fighting to break camp, if he's fighting, like just fighting to break the rotation, where would he be? And I think the Cardinals have two or three players alone on this on their spring training in spring training backfields that would be at least a two or three for the current oh. A's rotation. I'm gonna push back a little bit. Okay, let's let's just a little let's debate. Bit. The the uh, the and I'm not gonna go to my model numbers or anything like that. I'm actually going to just point out that I think that they have starting pitcher depth. Okay. I, I, so you're you're you. This is why it's only pushing out a little bit. You might be right about the relative quality, and they could slot in. However, I think the the A's have at least amassed like seven or eight number threes and number fours in a rotation. I would agree with that. Uh, so they have a lot of guys, and. If I want to like, if I want to be more positive, I do actually think uh, Shintaro Fujinami. There's, I think there's something about his game that could translate better to the American game in that he's a high stuff, low command guy, and we are we're pretty comfortable with that in America. And like, I think that that we like in terms of coaching and getting the most out of him, there we might be able to to help Shintaro Fujinami be maybe a little bit better than people expect. Um, and anyone, anyone who like throws 99 with a devastating splitter, like I'm going to say has, has decent upside. And the other guy, Ken Waldachuk, I think has three really good pitches, has top of the rotation, rotation upside. So those are my two guys that I think, you know, on talent alone, uh, would slot in at one and two. 
but then, yeah, guys like uh, Blackburn, Caprellian, uh, I think even Mulder, Sears, um, you know, Martinez, um, you know, I think a lot of those guys are uh, are depth in a way that they are set up uh, to, to have depth and then also maybe provide depth to other teams. I mean, you're right. You, you, you think, oh, well, Paul Blackburn had a pretty good season. Where's he going? Um, and that's that's the real sad truth about uh, being in Oakland. For me, it's uh, it's a bizarre feeling. You know, we're talking about spring and um, you know walking into these clubhouses. I think for you, you, there must be a real sense of continuity from season to season. I mean, especially with guys like Adam Wainwright. You maybe you've lost a little bit of that with Yadier not being there this year, but uh, you know, there's the same people every year, and you get to build these these relationships. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, walking into the A's clubhouse is a lesson in speed dating. I have to right. uh, get to know them very quickly uh, and they'll be gone very quickly. So. Exactly. No, and, and that's uh, that's really hard when you're when you're a fan, too. How do you build yeah. these connections with these players in this organization when it's like a constant revolving door? You walk into the Cardinals clubhouse and I mean, their 2023 team is almost identical to their 2022 team, which is very similar to their 2021 team. Yeah. Um, I I want to be positive for Oakland. I think Oakland A's fans are some of the most passionate and interesting fans in baseball. They're incredibly loyal, but it just looks like being positive, overwhelmingly positive about the A's seems so far off on the horizon right now. I don't see that changing in 2023 or 2024. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting to to wonder just um, you know if some of the if some of the innovations around the rest of baseball just haven't you know haven't taken hold if the A's are falling behind a little bit there. I know that they are trying to reorganize some of the um, interaction between technology and player development. Um, that's some place that I think they've fallen pretty far behind, um, and I know that. Um, they also just see things a little differently. I mean, I think the Asturi Ruiz uh, trade was a, a fascinating look into how different front offices uh, can value the same player very differently. I mean, it's f- pretty obvious that different front offices evaluate Ruiz differently because he's been traded like three times, you know? Mm-hmm. So that already says some organizations thought this is a good enough guy to trade. <laughs> and another organization thought we'll take him on and then thought mm, we should trade him. So, <laughs> uh, you know, to have that be the centerpiece for the Sean Murphy trade, trade uh a, a guy who's been off to, like you know three times traded that's that's already weird um and then you have this asterisk that he just doesn't hit the ball hard by like our our stat cast metrics in terms of hard hit rate he's he was um a laggard in the in the minor leagues and his uh maybe a lot of his his power numbers come from uh, his legs, because uh, he's very fast. However, at the same time, we're heading into a new uh, a new league with with regards to stealing bases and the rules about throwing over and everything. Um, if there is somebody that could steal 80 bases next year and be allowed to take off as much as he wants, because maybe the team isn't that great, um, I think Ruiz could be uh, an easy guy to uh, to lead the league in steals. I don't know if he'll have a 300 OBP. I don't know if he'll have a 400 slugging. Um, I don't know if he's a star uh, the way that uh, maybe the the A's front office thinks. Uh, but I do think um, he's going to be maybe the most fascinating person to watch on the A's this year. Is there, is there anybody else you're, you're keeping your eye on uh, in this on this roster that, uh, that could be interesting? 
You know, I didn't really. Well, one, I do agree that fascinating is a good word for the Ruiz trade because I love the trade for the Braves. I love the trade for the Brewers. And I was intrigued. <laughs> that, that can't be good. You can't love the trade for three teams. <laughs> I was really intrigued. Uh, for the intrigued A's with the last part. Yeah. Um, but when I'm looking at the A's, I'm thinking about a trade they just did when they traded AJ Puck to the Marlins for JJ Bleday. And to me, I don't think that trade like really moves the needle for either team. But I'm wondering what they saw in Bleday, who didn't really have a clear cut spot with the Marlins to trade Puck. Maybe because it comes back to what you mentioned with the starting pitching depth. I mean, A.J. Puck was once a top-valued prospect. Now he's reunited in Miami with another former A's top prospect in Jesus Lazardo. Um, for me, I'm wondering what they think and what they saw in J.J. Blade where they think he can be successful. If they saw something metrics-wise, if they saw something in the data where they were comfortable giving away someone who was at one point relatively prized in the organization to take someone that it didn't seem like the, the Marlins really valued or had a place for. Yeah, and I think that the through line between both of these is a reliance on actual results um, in the minor leagues versus other teams valuing process in the minor leagues more. Uh, and a way I can explain this is if you look at what Lede did at AAA last year and you say, okay, he was 23% better than league average in AAA as a 24-year-old. Uh, he walked 16% of the time. He struck out 27% of the time. He slugged 470. These, if you group him with other players that did these things in the minor leagues, they are successful X percent of the time. Puck is a reliever for us. You know, that selling a reliever to get an X percent chance at a credible major leaguer based on his AAA stats is something we believe in. That, I think, makes a lot of sense if you think about the way the A's work. Sure. They do. They get a lot of guys out of AAA. AAA numbers do translate better to the majors than AA or high A. They don't bother with high A. There was a trade, Luis Castillo, uh, for like two, 16, 17, you know, mm -hmm. they, they got the guys like, you know, they got Noel V. Marte, you know, who's like in high A, you know. The A's could have done a trade like that. Instead, they traded for, you know, Shea Langoliers and, you know, guys that are have higher floors and are higher, uh, you know, are closer to the major leagues and are more projectable, you would call it. Um, but uh, the same thing, you could look at Lede the same way you look at Ruiz and say, you know, the hardest hit ball he hit this year was 107.9. That's below average. If you look at his barrel rate, it was it, it was OK, but it wasn't good for a slugger. Um, so, you know, we have some process numbers and they have those process numbers for the minor leagues where they can say they can look at their exit velocities, minor leagues. we can't, but what I'm guessing is he's overproduced his, his exit velocities and they think, no, he's got something figured out. He knows how to, he knows how to hit and he's projectable and, and he's worth that chance. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it was a, it's a look into what they're doing. I mean, one thing that I do like about what they've done so far is getting somebody like Shea Langoliers back in the in one of their trades as a as a future uh, linchpin up the middle, I think he's very smart and he's going to be a very good catcher. Um, and and I do like actually acquiring all this starting pitcher depth because I do think that especially on uh, trade deadline day, what is the number one thing that people seem to want? It's starting it's pitching. pitching. I mean, you can yeah. find anything that you want at the trade deadline except starting pitching. It has consistently been the highest valued position. The market is always favoring the sellers at the trade deadline regardless because at that point, teams that are willing to trade are usually desperate to win. And we've mm -hmm. seen the demand for starting pitchers at the trade deadline. I mean, look, 
thinking back to 2022 when the Cardinals traded for Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana that elevated their season. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's not like it came without a cost, a starting exactly. center fielder in the in the major leagues. Is, a gold lover, know, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then I, I think of, like, the, you know, uh, the the Yankees trying uh, to get A's pitchers, you know, two two years out of four or mm-hmm. whatever, giving up some some assets, I mean, none that have really moved the needle yet. Although I do like Waldachuk, um, and and the Yankees getting almost nothing for it with the news with Frankie Montas's shoulder and uh, Sonny Gray just having just a terrible time there. So um, yeah, I think the A's have set themselves up to to be sellers in terms of uh, starting pitching. That's that's a decent thing, but. They're just, uh, to me, uh, they're just very bad offensively up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- to some extent, that includes Langley's got some things he can do, and Ruiz does too. But like, especially on the infield, I don't, I don't see uh, a solution coming. I don't see a shortstop of the future on this roster. Um, especially now with the shift rules, I, I, I think they're going to have to play Kemp. I don't think they can play Jordan Diaz or any of the other guys over there. They, they've been trying to hide some, you know, kind of almost first baseman at second base uh, in the past. And I don't think they can do that anymore with the shift rules. So uh, I just don't see an up, uh, the infield coming together, really. Um, and that's where I would start building myself. I feel like outfielder is a little bit easier to find. And I would want to have building blocks on the infield. Agreed. So that's, that's I would little... agree. Even with Nick Allen, I'm still not... He's a good defensive po- guy. Yeah, I'm still not overly positive about, well, really a lot of the A's, but the middle infield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the sad news is brass taxes, they project as uh, the worst team in the American League. Um, and uh, above average, really comfortably above average, uh, only at Ramon Laureano and Shea Langelier's positions. Um, so that's two places that uh, they can maybe build upon in the future but i i, I know ramon wouldn't mind uh, being traded out so <laughs> i asked him about it last year i asked i said something i said something vague like man there's nobody here you know and i think i meant in the clubhouse because it was like after the trade right. deadline and he took it to mean nobody in the stands and his response was classic it was great yes i've taken up coffee Oh, <laughs> not what you want. That is not what you want to hear. He said, I'm getting really into coffee. And he showed his coffee maker, this espresso maker he takes on the road. And like, yikes. <laughs> that should okay. be the slogan for the A's. Bring your coffee <laughs> to the coffee. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Next up on our list uh, of previews in the AL West. Uh, we've got the Mariners. Which, Yay, uh, that's good. They're spicy. a fun team. Yeah, they are very I like. Fun. They, they, you know, one thing I like about the Mariners is, as much as you can take the A's to task for um, moving their players around so much, the Mariners, I get a little bit more of a hint of a plan, uh, at least a short-term plan to get ready and uh, and and be good now. Yep. Um, and uh, so I, you know, it's trader. Jerry Depoto at the top of the uh, of the of the uh, of the, the front office leading the, this charge, and they've acquired uh, Colton Wong and Teoscar Hernandez uh, this offseason. They've uh, they've added uh, Luis Castillo at the trade deadline last year, and um, and then I think uh, and AJ Pollock. Let me not forget him. And then um, 
you know, their, their, their farm system is, has been really good at, at developing pitchers uh, most recently. Um, which one of these uh, new additions to the, the Mariners do you think is, is most crucial? I'm, I'm going to take Luis Castillo back off that offering for you okay. uh, real quick. I'm That's talking fair. about just this offseason. None of them are really big names, uh, although maybe Teoscar is, and maybe that's, maybe that's the right answer. But is there somebody that you think is going to be crucial for this team? Mm, I'm, I'm torn between Teoscar and Colton for different reasons. I mean, Colton Wong has been one of the most consistent second base defenders at second base over the entirety of his career. I think he can really stabilize that middle infield, but Teoscar Hernandez represented a big need that the Mariners needed in the outfield. And I think he completely transforms. And we talked about this with, uh, with the angels. He lengthens that lineup, which already has Julio Rodriguez, Eugenio Suarez. um, And again, AJ Pollock, like you mentioned, I think the Mariners were very smart about their offseason. I think they went out and no, they didn't get the big, the splashiest of names, but they got the pieces that really fit what they were going to build for. I don't know if the Mariners can hold off the Astros in the AL West. I don't know if the Mariners can win the division. I do firmly believe that if the Mariners put themselves in a position to again be a legitimate playoff team, that can go long. Um, so for me, again, it may not be the blockbuster names that Mariners fans were hoping for, but I thought they were both Wong and Teoscar Hernandez were smart, efficient upgrades that really brought exactly what the Mariners were looking for and solidified those needs early. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that there's a sneaky chance that Pollock is super important and, and not because uh, but basically the same reasoning as, as you're giving about in the lineup, but Teoscar, in a way, replaces Mitch Hanniger, um, who, you know, I think... You know, maybe Tasker, he's got more bad at ball power. Mitch might have a slightly better uh, plate approach. Um, I think that favors Tasker, but maybe not by a ton. Pollock is important for me because I do believe that the back end of this lineup uh, gets a little iffy sometimes. And, um, you know, if you if there's no step forward from J.P. Crawford, um, you know, you know, you've got He's a he's a steady Eddie Oatmeal type, but mm-hmm. he's um, you know not a, a great step. Um, he's not a great offensive piece. And then Jared Kelnick, he needs a really big step forward uh, to become even an average uh, offensive piece, I believe. And so that's two positions that aren't normally negatives. Now Julio Rodriguez being a center fielder that's so great offensively that does put them ahead of the game. Maybe they can afford J.P. Crawford to be uh, to be uh, just whatever he is, you know? Um, and, and Cal Raleigh is actually a decent offensive uh, catcher. I have him pegged to, to to break out a little bit more because he really improved his his swinging strike rate over the course of the season, just, just got better, and he already barrels the ball. So if he can make any contact, he could be better. But, you know, there's not a lot of teams that just have like a zero in left field. That's, you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> like offensively, it's usually a place that you find somebody that can that can play, that can hit, and you put them there. Um, so you know Pollock step, you know Pollock kind of stepping forward or or just regressing to to better days, or Jared Kalnick taking a step forward. That to me seems like a bit of a. Uh, it, it seems dramatic to say it this way, but a bit of an open wound. <laughs> it's like just the when I look at this depth chart, I'm like, yes, yes, yeah, oh. Left field, what are we doing here? No, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair based on what we talked about, really, about how they're projected to be a legitimate playoff team. But playoff teams can get exposed if you have that one weakness. But 
One thing I do really like about the Mariners is their top three of the rotation. Right now, if you look at the fan graphs and their projections of the starters, the Mariners have three starters that are projected to have a sub-4 ERA and post 170-plus innings this year, though that is Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, and Robbie Ray. And as we've learned in our journey through the postseasons over the years, teams with solid starting pitching will make it farther than teams without it. And obviously you have Luis Castillo, an established ace there. I like what Logan Gilbert's done. I like Robbie Ray here. And you're looking at other guys in their sortation too. I know George Kirby, Marco Gonzalez may not move that needle all that often, but when you have those three guys that I mentioned with the projections that they do, you suddenly feel a little bit more confident that if you're looking at a playoff team, you have the guys that you want to consistently be able to tow the rubber. Mariners were a really good team last year to be a good team in the playoffs. You have to have surefire starting pitching. And I do think they have that at the top of their rotation. Yes. I, I absolutely love this starting rotation. And I think that the Fangraphs actually uh, doesn't have it really correctly. Um, they've got them as sort of a middling starting rotation. I don't see that at all. I, don't I see this as a top, top rotation. And I think part of that is Luis Castillo is in, in undergoing a little bit of a transition from a changeup sinker guy to a fastball, uh, a, a four-seam slider guy. Uh, but he has all four in his bag, and he's been so consistent. And I know that he's not ever necessarily a guy that has popped for the Cy Young, but if you're consistently a top 10 or top 15 pitcher, that has a lot of value too, and that's just a lot to bank on. I can bank on Luis Castillo. If I want upside, I think Logan Gilbert and George Kirby have it in spades. Logan Gilbert has a really, really good fastball, and he's tinkering with it. He came to camp with a new splitter, and he's always got a new slider, but one of those is going gonna, is gonna to really tick and, and, and feed into that fastball, and, and he can be a power pitcher. Uh, you know, he, he loves Justin Verlander, and I think you know there's some – chance that he becomes a Justin Verlander type. He has that good of a fastball. And then George Kirby is Aaron Nola for me. He's got oh, amazing wow. command. He's, he's elite command like Aaron Nola. He has, he has developed a breaking ball like Aaron Nola. He's not an exact uh, in terms of mechanics or, or looks, but uh, it is that sort of elite command with developing stuff profile that I think uh, is is a top of the rotation guy. Now, Robbie Ray uh, and Marco Gonzalez are your veterans, and I think that they're they're fine for what you need them to be. And then we talked about having a swingman on your mm-hmm. roster. Chris Flexen is that guy where he's going to be in the pen, or he's or he's going to do some starts, and he's just going to be there. Would you say he could? Then- flexing between the roles. Yes, right. Oh, man, that was right there for me. <laughs> but uh, And then even have Emerson Hancock as a young guy that can come up and if someone gets hurt. So, uh, you know, I, I think that... And then that wrote, that, that relief uh, squad is nasty. I'm looking at those guys. Right? I'm looking at guys like Andres Munoz, like Diego Castillo. Like, these are guys that I think through all the teams that we've talked about in this division, I would give the advantage to the overall pitching staff to Seattle, no question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, mean, to pick anybody over the Astros, you know, you get a little sweaty under the collar, but I mean, Andres Munoz, 100 miles an hour with a 90 mile an hour slider. Paul Seawald is the funkiest pitcher on any of these rosters and nobody can seem to see him right. Uh, Dio Castillo throws real hard. Matt Brash is coming to town uh, this year with a with a cutter, which will help him even if he's in the pen. Penn Murphy is this weird sidearm guy. I mean, I I actually love this bullpen so much. I uh, <laughs> I actually went and visited them uh, when they were uh, in Modesto, 
And so I got to know <laughs> much of this pen uh, in Modesto. And they just fit together so well, and they really liked each other, and they liked the starting pitchers. And um, I think there's a little bit – you remember when the, the Royals came up and they just had all been in the minor leagues together? Yes. You know, uh, I don't think that I get that feeling so much on the hitting side for the Mariners, but I definitely get that from the pitchers where Logan knows what Kirby's up to, you know? And, and we'll make a, a comment about, you know, oh, have you seen what Kirby's doing with the slider, you know? Um, and uh, all these guys are, are talking to each other and, and rooting for each other and have known each other for a while. So uh, there's there's that. So, okay, I'm with you, man. Best best pitching staff in the AL West. Uh, to, uh, soup to nuts, uh, as they might say. Um, the, uh, the, yeah, the lineup, uh, I, I'm going to have to see how Colton Wong deals that, you know, one of the things that is so tough too, is this park is a little bit of an issue. I think, I think park plus injury kind of chewed up Jesse Winker last year Sure, and, uh, it, it's done it to other players too. So every time you kind of bring a new player here, you, you, you're a little bit nervous. Like can Colton Wong still get his 10, 15 homers and, 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 you know, be a plus offensively, you know, he also was one of the largest, uh, drops in year to year defensive stats I've ever seen. Uh, and the other was JP Crawford. So there's this weird thing where up the middle last year, the Mariners, two guys were rated really poorly, like bottom of the league by like outs above average, the savant stat. And so, but that's weird because, you know, what would happen from one year to the next? Their sprint speeds weren't that different. They seemed athletically fine. So, uh, you know, I think that might have be some noise, but it is something I wanted to mention. Uh, but uh, overall, this is a, a fun squad. You know, if Jared Kalnick uh, gets it together, there's that's that's going to be a huge uh, thing. And that, that, you know, we've been talking about this team to team a little bit, right? Like mm-hmm. if there is one guy who could step forward on this team, it's Jared that's Kellnick, the one. right? That's your X factor right there if you're Seattle. I mean, if he steps forward, the, everything looks different. Now they have credible major league offensive and defensive posi- like guys at every position. They have some, you know, flexibility with Dylan Moore. They've got, you know, they've they've got everything they need. But without him, it's just mm, what does that back in that lineup look like? So fascinated to see what his season looks like. I wouldn't say that I have that much hope for him, but uh, you know, he's come to town with a new swing. It is that time of year. Everyone's that got happened. a new There's swing. But uh, but I think that in, hidden within that for him is something interesting is that is a sign that he's struggled enough to listen. And I have seen young players um, get to that point where they struggle enough to really listen. And, and uh, that can be a real chance to improve. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. All right, we come to the bottom of the... It's not the bottom, uh, hopefully, in the standings for them, considering how much money they spend, but uh, (laughs) the last of our teams that we're doing in the uh, AL West, because we're doing it uh, by by the alphabet, the Texas Rangers up now. And uh, I might put it uh, simply to you... um, and the and the secret here is uh, there was no rundown, so <laughs> she has no idea what I'm about to say. No, this it's is, a secret. Yes, <laughs> this is this is excellent TV and radio. Did they get their money's worth? That's a much better question than what I wrote for Texas, <laughs> which at the very top of my notebook is: Are the Rangers good? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's the same question. <laughs> but it's yours is phrased in a way that makes you sound intelligent. Mine's like, uh, okay. I don't know, are they uh, Okay, well, I, this is such a, a loaded question because so much has to go right. I mean, let's give them their credit. They spent the money to get better. They spent mm-hmm. a large amount of money to get better. It, it seems almost too simple to say that Jacob deGrom being a healthy Jacob deGrom is going to be what makes them good. It's certainly is going to be the leading factor. I mean, you don't sign a guy to a five-year, $185 million deal for him to not be able to take the ball every five days and not be able to do that as your top-of-the-arm rotation. But I'm looking at the other names in this rotation. Martin Perez had a great year for them last year. That's someone that they didn't want to trade at the trade deadline, despite having mm-hmm. many teams having interest. They got John Gray. They have Nathan Avaldi and Andrew Heaney. It's formidable. You can That kind of rotation can hang with a rotation like Houston and Seattle's, I believe. That, but- again... All in some, pitches. is it better? Like, it's if you got 120 innings of Degrom, is that rotation better than than the other ones? I think you need a little more from Degrom. I think you. Yeah. Do. I would say maybe 140, and that would be a baseline. I mean, it's a great rotation. I think through and through, it's pretty solid. But it's it's no secret who they're relying on to be their ace. And there's a lot of teams with a number one that isn't necessarily an ace. They may they may refer to them as their team's ace, but when you're looking at what makes an ace caliber pitcher. That's Jacob DeGrom. So for me, the first thing that we need to establish about the Rangers is, is Jacob DeGrom going to be that premier top pitcher in baseball for them, top five pitcher in baseball for them? Yeah. Yeah. But I think the, I think the other main question is, um, is their farm system going to produce, uh, I think mostly bats uh, that, that can fill in the gap because they put a lot of pressure on this roster with the the acquisitions in terms of you need some cheap guys too mm-hmm. um i mean i don't want to get into the politics of baseball spending but i don't think there's a team that spends as much as they've spent up the middle everywhere in their lineup and i mean the mets might be close but like i don't know if that's on the table for the rangers so if that's not on the table for the rangers in terms of you know spending really big at every position they really kind of need leody Tavares. Take a take a small step forward. Uh, they need Josh Young to to be a cheap third baseman for them, even if he's not a superstar. To be a league average league player average. on the mm-hmm. league minimum, you know, to to prove for Nate Lowe to prove that last year's second half, where he was so much better than, the, than he was in the first half, to prove that that was real. 
Yeah. It took for Jonah Heim to prove that what he did last year was real. You, you see know? guys like Robbie Grossman in the league for a long time. Is he going to blow the box score open? No. But if he can be league average, then you suddenly feel a lot better, just like you said about multitudes of those guys, about the overall length of your lineup and the depth of your lineup. Because you look at guys like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon leading the top of the lineup. Yes, they had some pretty significantly career some pretty significantly low batting averages in their career last year at the top of the order, but they're still getting on base. They're still pl- slugging home runs. That only works, though, if you have length throughout the rest of the lineup instead of just your one and two. You can't consistently rely, rely on your top two guys to produce all of your offensive numbers. So I would agree that those guys that you mentioned and the younger, cheaper talent, if you will, needs to be able to produce consistently because you, I guess maybe if you're Steve Cohen, can, you, you basically can't really just keep spending money and getting these ridiculous contracts and hoping that it'll all click together at one point. Yeah. You know, some of the, uh, uh, what's interesting to me is that I, I don't really like the plate approaches uh, for some of their guys. Uh, Adolis Garcia is a kind of swing at everything kind of guy and he's got great power and he's got uh he's got a great arm and he's useful now he's definitely not someone i would sign to an extension because you know your ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone really ages poorly and he really swings at everything and then leody Tavares, you know interesting plate approach as well and um you know josh jung you know coming off of, off of his shoulder surgery young's um you know swing strike rate and strikeout rate kind of balloon so you know, I'm hoping that he can make more contact. Uh, otherwise, that gives me kind of three young guys where I'm like, oh, I don't like the plate skills. So bringing in something like Robbie Grossman, I think, is kind of brilliant in that it gives them uh, kind of lineup diversity, which is something that I believe in um, that I can't prove, which is I believe that and this is the way I put it. So uh, one year, uh, Adam Dunn and Vlad Guerrero had the same uh, like Woba or same OPS. Right. And so theoretically, you're saying these guys are the same. But if I had a, a, a lineup full of Adam Dunn's and a lineup full of Vlad Guerrero's and then a third lineup that was half Adam Dunn and half Vlad Guerrero, I put to you that that third lineup would do the best because they're fundamentally different guys. You got mm-hmm. Adam Dunn up there spitting on everything until he can homer. So he's going to be really good maybe against wild pitchers and waiting for that them to make a mistake. But against pinpoint control pitchers, who would you rather have? I'd actually rather have Vlad. Correct. Because Vlad can, even if you are hitting your corners, I mean, he hit homers off the bounce. You know? <laughs> so like, Literally. You know, he can hit anything. So uh, to me, bringing in Robbie Grossman has a little bit of that, oh, okay, Seeger, Simeon, and Grossman are going to give you amazing at-bats. They are going to grind through. They're going to walk. They're going to do everything you want a guy to do. And then if we're going up against someone who is just carving us up and just, you know, striking those guys out because they keep taking a ball, low it away, or, you know, this painting, 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 then Adolis Garcia is going to go up there and hit one of those paint jobs out, you know, just right. because he can, you know. So I, there's a, if I tell myself the story of how these Rangers uh, make it work this year, it's, yes, DeGrom maybe 150 plus innings and it has to be shaped correctly where like he's there at the mm-hmm. end of the season, you know, um, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe need someone in the bullpen to be healthy. Like Leclerc and Hernandez are good stuff guys. And, and, and Barlow, I like, I like those pitchers, 
someone needs to be healthy all year and, and establish themselves as a closer. That's part of the story. But the other part of the story is that, you know, Jung Tavares and Garcia mesh with these veterans mm-hmm. and give you the type of lineup that can win games five to four and can win games one to nothing. Um, and, and that'll matter. Cause when Martin Perez is on the bump, you need to win five, four, right? <laughs> you know? And, uh, when DeGrom is on the bump, you know, DeGrom always goes up against the ace and the joke in New York was that like, he couldn't score for himself, you know? It would be like um, Mets lose two to one. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that was the DeGrom thing. So, uh, you know, you know, having a lineup that can, that can either ground it out and get some walks and, and, and do it that way, or just hit one of those random bombs that wins you the game. Uh, there's something there that I like. So, you know, and then of the overall health of the organization is I'm just looking at them to start, you know, producing uh, major leaguers and in a way that I think they can, you know, they, they have always had good scouting. It's a little bit like, you know, the Cardinals have been really great at producing major leaguers and then they package them for stars, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the, the Rangers have been a team that has produced major leaguers, but not always for their own squad. Good point. It's a great point. But uh, if you uh, if you were uh, to uh, tell the story of how it doesn't work for the Rangers this year, how how does that story go? Uh, Jacob Degrom's arm falls off in his first live <laughs> VP, and just kind of tailspin from there. Yeah. Um, no, I think it, it comes down I mean, to because Evaldi is going to be hurt. Haney's gotten hurt a lot. Right. It, I mean, it's it's such a cliche answer, but health is really going to dictate a lot of this. And guys that you mentioned, like Adolis Garcia, like Josh Young, like Leota Tavares, they, they do have to mesh and, and give some of that lineup continuity, if you will. Um, mm. It can't just be the guys that you shelled out these contracts for. It can't just be the Simeon and Seeger show. There does need to be some consistent production through those guys later in the lineup to just kind of have some fluidity, I would say. Um, but no, this season, the Rangers season to me still, no matter what, it's going to ride on the success of Jacob deGrom. That's just what a pitcher of his caliber does. That's the consequence or the the nature of the game. When you have an arm like that, to, a lot extra comes with it. So for the Rangers, I'd like to, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'd like to see, uh, just selfishly, I'm such a, a pitching nerd, you know, there's going to be injuries in this rotation, either deGrom or not. And I would like to see a young uh, Texas Ranger starting pitcher uh, just blossom. You know, I don't know. Glenn Otto has some nice things. You know, there are some guys in that organization. Leiter was a uh, uh, Jack Leiter was a high pick that, you know, I think is come to camp. I'm hearing he sounds he's, he's pitching well, um, but uh, he had such a really terrible year last year. And there hasn't been that. um development of internal starting pitching uh that uh that you, you i think you see more success stories on the hitting side for their development um i think that uh developing somebody to step in when those guys are hurt will be huge for them because they do have Odorizzi. they actually have they do speaking of yeah. like, oh you're looking at that swing guy you have ashes in heaven but the rangers sure do yeah they and they, they are going to need him but i think they might also need a, a young starting pitcher to step forward and uh, so that's that's going to be a story for the the AL West this year. We've got it uh, from from top to bottom, soup to nuts. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Katie, for for helping us out uh, this week. And 
Uh, we look forward to hearing more from you from camp. If you'd like to subscribe, uh, you can do so at theathletic.com baseball show forward slash baseball show. And the offer is $2, uh, $2 a month. And for that, you can get Katie's excellent writing on the Cardinals, as well as uh, all the fantasy baseball stuff that just came out. The draft kit just came out. I've got 10 young bats that are going to break out. Mr. Lars Newtbar is is one of the 10 Media bats. sensation. Media sensation. Um, and, uh, and thanks so much for listening.